from the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Sorry, I'm still fiddling. Um... <laughs> Is this where we should give a shout out to Eve6 and thank them for sharing our podcast story on their Instagram? Oh my God, it makes me so nervous. I immediately am like, I need to listen to this. What did I say? Just in case they listen to it. But I like, looked at other things they posted and you're right, for sure they didn't listen to it. They were just like, we were mentioned, post. Yeah. I thought it was cool that when I said, when I, like, I reached out to him, whomever it is that runs that, that Instagram and said, hey, thanks for sharing our story, immediately got an answer. It was just like, yep. But it was immediate. Cool. Nice. So, thanks, you six. I'm a super fan. Despite what everyone <laughs> said on that, I'm a super fan. I don't think we said anything negative about it. I think we struggled to find anything to say at all because they don't have any scandal. Yes, there was not a lot of story behind it. That was true. I apologize for a bad pick. I know that. Bill. No, it was fine. It, it was fine. It was a fun excuse to listen to a, an album I never would have otherwise, and I think Stephen agreed. But that's not why we're here, and by the time this episode airs, that will have been like two months ago. So, <laughs> so let's get to this. So welcome back or welcome to your first episode of life to labyrinth podcast my name is Bryn. i'm angie and our good friend <laughs> rob is back who for some reason has lost his ability to speak rob is back <laughs> yo known to some as robinator what's up thanks for coming back rob thanks for, for having this, me our second episode of our musical rewatches or first time rewatches i got nothing First time rewatches. It's been a long day, guys. <laughs> I'm like, I just was right with you. I was like, yeah, first time rewatch. I don't know what the fuck that means, but I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. All right, let's do it. <laughs> just let him go. Maybe he'll catch himself. <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, Rob's suggestion slash pick, and this for this episode, we listened to the 2005 remake of the film The Producers. Rob, you're gonna have to take it away from here. Why'd you pick it? What's your history? Um, I picked it because this is one of this is probably my most favorite musical. Love Matthew Broderick, love Nathan Lane. I've always been a huge fan of all of their work. And together they have great they just worked really well for this on Broadway. I love Mel Brooks. I've always been a fan of his films. Um, you know, Blazing Saddles, uh, just anything zany he's done has been so irreverent. I just love how satirical and biting he is yet fun and quirky he inspires every kind of humor that you know i go back to in terms of like slapstick or like uh cartoon humor like the simpsons in terms of comic timing and i just uh i i love this musical it's so it's so biting and at the same time cute uh it just yeah it's 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 offensive it's got that black comedy that i like a lot that's my spiel. That's my spiel. I love everything about it. That's what makes it my favorite musical is just that it's so much fun. Can I just say, I know Rob so well that whenever we recommend things for each other, especially when it comes to comedy, it's so funny because we laugh like all the time at the same shit. And then sometimes I'll watch something and be like, this is so Rob and only Rob. 
Like, we have two very different comedy styles. And, okay, first of all, I also adore Nathan Lane. The whole time I was thinking I need to watch The Birdcage immediately. (laughs) Also love Matthew Broderick. He's adorable. And it was, like, an overacting extravaganza. But with, like, the humor things, I just kept thinking this is so Rob. This is, like, just (laughs) so right up Rob's alley that it was, like, yeah, I could see... I could see why you liked it. That's awesome. I I'd never seen this before outside of snippets here and there. I think I'd seen Springtime for Hitler. Again, I and I and I've only watched the 2005. I didn't go and try and find 1967 version, so I think for the context of this, we'll just stick with 2005. Um but it's funny you say Angie about the overacting because as I took notes while I was watching it, one of the first notes I took was was the director's only note overact. Nothing <laughs> is too much. Go above and beyond and then go above again. <laughs> like when Matthew Broderick is having his meltdown over his like blankie. Yeah. Yeah. Is when I wrote it. And I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> I, even when I was reading the like Wikipedia thing of it and they were explaining some of the humor, I'm like, oh my God. I just thought that was silly. I didn't like really understand what they were doing with it, which is like not foreign for me to totally miss the point of something but um yeah oh my god just like matthew broderick on speed for sure yeah Yeah. intense before we get too far should we run down the plot of the movie i know we kind of forgot to with mary poppins but i think it's a little bit more of a cultural milestone for people than the producers perhaps should we run down the the general plot of the movie Sure. Rob, do you have anything that you want to share about the plot, or you want me just to like hit it right out of Wikipedia? <laughs> just hit it right out of right out of Wikipedia, right All out right. of the park. Well, this is going. I'm not going to read the whole plot because it's like five paragraphs. Yep. <laughs> Essentially, the movie is set in 1959, which I didn't even realize, and it is basically the story of a theater producer who has constant flops and an accountant who comes in and informs him that he'll actually make more money from a flop than from a success because then he won't have to pay back his backers. They decide to go on a quest to make the worst musical with the worst stars and the worst director that they possibly can to ensure a flop and therefore profit. Did it, like was it supposed yeah, wonderful. Well well done, Brincopedia. Thank you. <laughs> That was my summary. Was it supposed to be like a surprise that it would be a hit? Or did everyone else like know that within the first eight seconds of the movie? Like, do you know what I mean? Was it like, oh knew- my God, this is good. You know what I mean? You know when you know knew- what's going to happen through the whole thing? I, I think basically it's set up. And-, and I knew ahead of time as the only person that hadn't seen this before. I knew ahead of time. I haven't seen this. That You hadn't seen it before? No. Oh, I thought you had. Okay. Well. No, no, I watched it. Pardon me. All right, pardon me. Um, I spoke out of turn. But I I knew going in that the humor is based on the fact that the whole point of this was to fail and they accidentally created a success. I didn't know how it became a success. I didn't know why it became a success, but I knew that at the the over like at some point the climax of this film would be they would have like their comeuppance for this fraud. Right. That failed. So yeah, did you uh, did you know that ahead of time, or did you figure it out as you said within about the first five minutes? Just I mean, just immediately I was like, okay, so I know what the punchline's gonna be, and then it kind of veers like Will Ferrell was an interesting choice for the 
German character. It made me very distracted. And it seems like that where I felt they were long and I'd be like, okay, well, Pharaoh's singing a German song for five minutes. Like I'll go take a nap and come back. But um, yeah, it was interesting to kind of immediately be like, oh, I know what they're working towards. But you're right. You don't know how they're doing it. So yes, my favorite favorite song was keep it gay i think my whole favorite scene was when they're blatantly overacting gays it was hysterical the hiss at the door for like five minutes that was hysterical i can't even remember what he says but it's he just holds that hiss i that that was really funny (laughs) we'll let rob get a word in here edgewise eventually but when i I had seen the Will Ferrell song previously. Mm, okay. Um, when I said I saw Springtime for Hitler, I, I didn't mention that I'd seen the Will Ferrell part, but I had. And seeing the Will Ferrell pigeon song was the reason that I never pre- uh, ventured committed. to actually go into- <laughs> committed to going to see the rest of the movie. Yeah, that could previously. turn you off. I was, yeah. I was like, you know, like Rob mentioned last week. I think it was last week where he can't see. Julie Andrews as anyone other than herself and it sucks them out of movies. In this case, Will Ferrell really sucked me out of this and I really, I think all of them, aside, aside from Nathan Lane, they all sucked me out of this movie. Yeah. I think had they been people I didn't know, I probably wouldn't have had as hard a time mm-hmm. with the suspension of belief. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but his choice I thought was really poor, but I found by the end of the movie, as is often the case with Will Ferrell, it's sort of like he hits his stride with the character, and he kind of, and it, and and it kind of made sense for me by the end of the movie. Yeah, agreed. I think that I think the fact that they even made this film is surprising because they had already done it in like what the late '60s with Gene Wilder, 67. and uh, and uh, I. Okay, the reason I love the remake so much, like I said, is because of Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. But I think that they had all of these other star studs in the cast. Like they had, you know, Uma Thurman and they had the Will Ferrell appearance and a couple of other, you know, faces maybe that I am I may not be remembering now. But like John Lovitz, I think I, John Lovitz, they wanted to really they wanted to really um, bolster this musical and like make it huge uh, in terms of like just bring it to a new audience a new generation and they were using stars of that exact like time to infuse the movie and just make it all that more sparkly for for audiences to be to uh, to uh for it to appeal to audiences and i think going back to like when it was written so the original uh, musical and movie like late 60s um it's just so like so typical mel brooks just irreverent and biting and satirical and just so cheeky just so cheeky with like just what it's about and the fact that the you know they're singing about uh springtime for hitler and just like how offensive it is it's just brilliant it's perfect mel brooks i i love that and it's perfect for that time too when he wrote it because like that cold war time needed the audiences to really have some uh, relief in the tension so they're looking for stuff that was for more adult audiences to laugh and just like be light about this whole uh post-war time i think that still very much considered post-war yeah it was if it the original was the uh the wide release was in 1968 but it's Mm -hmm. a release date originally was 1967 that's only 12 years after 
the Second World War ended. And think it and think it's set in fifty nine. It's I think yeah. it's set on Wikipedia. So yeah. that being said, and this is one of the things I love about this movie. Whether or not you could tolerate the overacting, it was meant to be overacted because the director, from what I could see, I didn't even have to read about this. I could just see. I've I've grown up with all these musicals that were huge in the fifties, like The King and I, Funny Face, Singing in the Rain, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, some like you know, some like Hot, A Star Is Born. All of those movies had this grandiose, uh, you know, locked uh, camera with just like you know, beautiful wide shots and brilliant sets and like gorgeous costumes and overacting and great dance numbers. And that's what this director was hearkening to. So when you yeah. watch the movie, it's almost like you're exactly watching a, a movie that was made in the fifties because it's set in the fifties. And when you're watching this movie, you're also watching it as if you're seeing the play performed on stage in the fifties. And that's what I love about the, uh, what this director did was um, she she took it upon herself to make it like a real homage to great big musicals of that time, like the late 50s, early 60s, when that's that's the style they were. That's how they looked. Yeah. That's how they acted. That's that's what the stage theatrics looked like and everything. And that's what made it so magical for me was because this is a movie that was made in the 2000s and seeing that that it that was this way brought me back personally to that nostalgia of like all those old classics like the king and i that i grew up with like when when they're dancing and she's got that giant gown and it's just so romantic and i like that style a lot so it's like that romance of the 50s along with the crazy irreverent biting humor of mel brooks has that nice contrast and that's what makes it sweet for me yeah i'm um, directed by susan strawman see what other films she has under her belt i suspect mostly theater work center stage producers looks like she's mostly television and theater which makes sense but as you say it the overacting at the beginning i found really hard really mm -hmm. hard but it definitely calmed down yeah and then you could see yes this is designed to make it feel like you're watching this on stage exactly. and the overacting is because they're supposed to be playing to an audience with limited mic or no mic yeah so that made sense it was a little much at the beginning yeah and i have n i have not seen any of the musicals that you just mentioned from the 50s and 60s so i'm not <laughs> I know what they're trying to do, but I don't have that like nostalgia button. I'm like, oh, these movies where I feel a little bored because they're gonna mm -hmm. dance and sing. You know, you know what I mean? And I like, right. and I like musicals. I love musicals, but there, I, you know, when the dance number, it, it, it doesn't capture my attention enough. But it's 100% because I didn't grow up. I don't have the nostalgia factor. Mm. Um, do you like that? I didn't grow up. Period. Uh, I didn't have the nostalgia factor, um, but I can see why that would be that cozy feeling when you watch it going, oh, I love when someone's kind of trying to redo something that's already happened and try to do, like you said, an homage to it. That's super fun to watch. But mm -hmm. at, like as soon as they were in like the accounting thing and I knew there was a musical number coming up, I was always just a little like, oh, <laughs> oh we're going to sing about accounting. I really liked. <laughs> yeah, I don't I even really remember it actually. Oh, I'm the worst. Fun fact, I have a note about the accounting scene. The accountant visors are called green eye shades. 
Why? They wore them to basically protect their eyes from strain when mm. they did work in candlelight. Oh, weird. So it was people who did a lot of writing, and accountants were one of those. And because of the oh, lighting, interesting. Yeah, apparently, I did a little bit of. Uh, you did a little bit of visor research, and I'm really glad did you a did. Little, did a little <laughs> visor research, not a super deep dive, more like a puddle jump. But uh... <laughs> what, what, what I like, what I like about this as well, and just going back to, I guess, or like maybe I'm flogging my point, but just like when you watch like um, modern musical films, like uh, more current. I mean, like when you watch something like uh, Moulin Rouge, or when you watch La La Land, the camera and the cinematography, the colors and the editing and all of that draws attention to what really makes it pop the camera work and the special effects and um all of those things play such a huge role whereas this really was like you were watching everything unfold on stage the way you would watch nathan lane and matthew broderick broderick do it live on stage like you're yep. watching yeah. them and everything is unfolding the way it would in the live production so i think it was kind of like bringing that to the you know 2000s to audiences who maybe couldn't afford to go and see a broadway show um the fact that this movie cost 45 million to make kind of blows my mind that they would <laughs> let that they would let someone who's an experienced theater director direct it is i i can understand the reason and their in her vision obviously because it appealed to me but it's like kind of mind-blowing that like wow you you had a 45 mil budget and you gave this to a theater director who has not done film before it's like holy fuck that's a mm -hmm. ballsy call yeah i think i think in the world of film though 45 million is pretty small it is it is not to not to completely um steamroll over your point but i think it's pretty small for a film and they spent it, it all is. on salaries obviously yeah no question <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably didn't have to get the song rights because uh, Mel Brooks was involved in this. And the sets were so that. simple. Yeah, yeah. 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 So have you, do they have like, I'm totally ignorant to this. Have they ever toured this like as a, as a live show? hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. Have this you is seen like a Broadway it? No, I would have loved to see to this. I wanted to know if you'd but, seen it live. Well, but Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane played these characters and a whole bunch of other great actors. Like I think, I think Kelsey Grammer. I think uh, I think there's a whole slew of other big actors I'm forgetting right now who have done the roles of Max Bialystok and Leo um, that have done these two to these two buffoons together on stage. And for some actors, it's probably, you know, it may launch their careers into other things. Um, I should actually look up who else has played these two, uh, these two guys. But yes, Broadway production. It's been uh, done for a long time. And actually, I believe I read that it was banned in Germany until the 70s. They wouldn't perform it on stage there. <laughs> I could see that. Oh, I, I wonder why. It came out only 12 years after Hitler himself I took his life why. in the middle of Berlin. That's super funny. So Angie, the uh, the accountant song went unhappy, ch unhappy. Right. Ch un I think that's when I took my first intermission. I watched it in several parts. <laughs> um, let's see. I had some notes that I'd like to pull back, and I lost them because my screen changed. Okay. So I think you made a point about the songs and stuff, and I think the We Can Do It song, I think, really speaks to when this these songs were written. Because mm -hmm. I found the, tr the old trope of 
Uh, musicals did it all the time where they sang the first verse all on one note. Yeah. You know, and, and they did that in We Can Do It. They didn't seem to do it anywhere else, but they did it on this movie. They did it in this song. We're going to figure this out. Da 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 I found I I was like that I was like oh, no okay this kind of speaks to its age a little bit and so I came from that which was we can do it and then went to I want to be producer which I really liked because it was like it had a, it I found we can do it had some funny moments but the way that they switched the filming when they were in the car it was like very modern the way they were filming it and then they got into the cab and all of a sudden it was like old style in a car filming where it's very obvious that the background through the windows is like really grainy <laughs> just like in an old movie yeah yeah just like in an I old was movie like, in the 50s yeah i was like oh that's a nice little nod because these days they would probably put them in a car they on it they'd have figured out a route through new york or wherever they wanted to do it and they'd be towed along while they acted but in this, they were very obviously in a room, sitting in a car set, and then they're just like, we'll just put footage in like in the old days. I thought that was really cool. That was a nice callback. Good detail. Thanks. And in the Unhappy song, which is called I Want to Be a Producer, I really liked how like they had the chorus girls, but then they had the Mel Brooks want want chorus girl. <laughs> yes, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been my part in this play, by the way. I just want to let you know. <laughs> kind of the, I would do my face the whole the. Anyways, yeah. I as soon as I saw her, I'm like, oh, that's me. That's my place in this. Yeah. <laughs> but the pardon part about that is that she breaks the fourth wall, and you seem like the kind of person that would love to break the fourth wall, Angie. Yeah. I enjoyed 100%. that too. She like winks at the camera. <laughs> I, I so the musical I'm I'm understanding uh, was performed on Broadway after. Uh, 2001 a lot more but for some reason I'm not seeing the other names I know that there are other big names who have played these two characters and I'm not seeing them now I keep looking it up but not being much help no it's fine I, I, I think we don't want to really get bogged down I think in in the Broadway production since we're talking about the, the movie we watched please edit that out that last thing I said because it, <laughs> it actually contributed zero absolutely zero it's like can I just can I just comment on something that would contribute nothing? Can I make an observation about how nothing could be contributed by a sentence that I'm about to say? <laughs> and then Rob say it. Hey, they made an entire Indiana Jones movie where he contributes in no way to the plot of the story. Perfect. <laughs> Rob, do you ever listen to this music? Just like, do you ever just put this music on and listen to it? 100%. Do you? Okay. Keep it gay and springtime for Hitler. Absolutely. Yeah, those two classics. are my favorite. Yeah. Absolute classics. I was going to ask, and I'm glad you did, because I didn't listen to the music at all. I watched the film, and I enjoyed it as a package, and I didn't take the music with me elsewhere. This is probably the first time that we've done any of this, and I've only listened to the songs once. Oh, interesting. I figured that was like, if they can sell me on the songs in the movie and that's what they're supposed to do. I wanted to listen to them away from the movie because I would get really bogged down with other details. And mm. I kind of wondered if I would listen to the music on its own, which by the at the end, I gathered I, would, I wouldn't. I don't think I would listen to this again. Although I, 
I really enjoy Keep It Gay. <laughs> I can when the lesbian comes out and she's right like, now. keep it gay, keep yeah. it gay. <laughs> Tony, 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 Tony. That's the best. Like, yeah. it's so funny. Yeah. It is. It's so over the top and caricature and ridiculous that you're like, oh, they're making, oh, it's really funny. Like, it's just too much. It's so much. Yeah. Also, with most musicals, like, they're, I kind of have a stroke when they're singing about stupid shit. Like, you know, when it could be a three second conversation and then it turns into a 10 minute song. Always my problem with musicals. Cause you're like, Oh, they're like when they talk things through, through song kind of, mm. kind of loses me a little. Like I want it to be a little bit more like we're singing a song, not we're talking this through and we're singing like this and this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, Oh boy. So anyways, I'm a crank. I'm a crank like that. <laughs> That's fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that maybe doesn't belong here and is an unpopular opinion, but I don't care for Mel Brooks movies. I can't remember. I don't. I can't remember the last time I've seen one, and I know I have seen them, and I have like zero recollection. So I'll just sit back and watch this conversation. I think this is the first Mel Brooks musical I've seen, unless mm. you consider Robin Hood Men in Tights a musical, but I don't think it is. So there's History of the World, there's uh, Spaceballs, Blazing Saddles like is my personal favorite, Young Frankenstein, Dracula Dead and Loving It I love <laughs> with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen, um, yeah, I saw that years and years ago. Loved that. Um, that's actually one of my favorite Halloween time movies. It's just, it just, it's like a classic favorite. Like, you know how every Christmas you might watch Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase? <laughs> every Halloween, every Halloween I have to watch um, I have to watch Dracula Dead and loving it just because I love uh, I love Leslie Nielsen. That's fair. I came away from this thinking maybe I needed to give Mel Brooks movies another chance. That was if if I can sort of resurrect myself a little bit because I know it's very unpopular to say you don't like Mel Brooks, but I remember watching Men in Tights, thought it was funny, didn't care for it much on a whole. Blazing Saddles, I really didn't like. I haven't seen what was it, the Leslie Nielsen one you you just raved about. Dracula, Dracula Dead, Dead and Loving It? it? That's great. I don't great. think I've seen it either. I think I saw it as a kid when it came out, which is an unfair assessment, but I didn't like it. Bla um, Spaceballs, I actually hated. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Star Wars fan. I just genuinely didn't like it. Oh, <laughs> I, wish I, had a, I wish I had a memory and could contribute. I know I've seen these movies and they're gone. They're gone. It, it makes me sad because I really like Rick Moranis. I love John Candy. The We Ain't Found Shit when they're combing the desert is a funny line but I, I found like my note was like that you guys thought that the really long s at the beginning of the keep it gay song mm -hmm. i was like uh see this is what i don't like about mel brooks movies i thought it was so ridiculous because it was too long like it's classic snl for the for the joke to go on five minutes after which yeah. i i it can go either way for me a hundred percent where you're like okay okay we're beating a dead horse oh oh we're still doing it but that's what I thought was ridiculous, because it was ridiculous to begin with. You're like, oh, okay. Okay, it's still going. Oh yeah, they're committing. <laughs> they're doubling down. Like, I know what you're saying. Can go either way. But I just found, for me, that I was starting to wane a little bit. And I know I watched it in several different parts, but that like blew some major, blew life in. The gays blew some life in. Yeah, you're welcome. I said it, I said it. Um, but it was like very upbeat and, and exciting. And I, I it kind of reinvigorated me to recommit. 
I really struggled with the film until that moment. And when the big S happened, I was like, Ugh, how much is left? And it was at that moment when that song happened. And then it ends with the Friends intro where they're dancing in a fountain. The movie flipped for me. And I went from, mm. oh my God, this movie's two hours and 15 minutes long to, oh, I've already watched half of it. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> and I think the thing that really flipped for me was Nathan Lane's physical comedy. Mm. In the second half of the movie, his physical comedy is just so spot on. It's almost he's like he's channeling Chris Farley. And it's and that's the half of the second half of the movie again is when the overacting is toned down. It subtly happens slowly, but it's at the second half of the movie that it's toned back enough that it's not there anymore. Yeah. Either that or you've become numb to it. But yeah. then, his, then his physical comedy really starts kicking in where he's like got his hair all messed up and he's like standing up and it's straight up in the air. And I was like, oh, that's Chris Farley. But he's like falling over stuff and like he's just he's just everywhere. He's in like his like he's bumbling, but in like a hilarious way, not in like a uh, that's a trope. Kind of, I don't know. That's when yeah. the movie flipped for me. Yep. Same. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And it was at that moment I stopped being mad at you, Rob. <laughs> and then, and then, well, maybe it happened earlier. But when Uma Thurman came in the movie, I also was like, "What?" And also was taken right out of it again for some reason. Her accent coming and going was difficult. Which is apparently supposed to happen. Like it's supposed to be okay. a bad accent. It's like part of the funny. But I also didn't get that. And I was like, yeah. "This is annoying." And then I kept thinking, "It's Uma. It's Uma." Like, oh, interesting. And then, yeah. So it's it's hard when you've got like yeah the top celebrities of the time and doing something kind of different and it's hard for them it's hard for you to get into the character when it's like high energy overacting of people that you already know and like I liked the choice of Uma Thurman though because especially in 2005 they still probably were very tempted unless it was supposed to be this way as a character and it's Mel Brooks choice from the writers to cast somebody way younger than Matthew Broderick and hotter. But they brought in Uma Thurman, who's like his contemporary in terms of like age and stardom and all of that. And I was like, this is great. I don't have to feel icky about this relationship. It can just be funny that she's so out of his league. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I did like I that. that. They could have very easily brought in a twenty, like a hot twenty-year-old. They could have Megan yeah. Fox did or something, and it would have been like, ah, oh, really gross. Yeah. Yeah. So on uh, on this on the stage, apparently Rebecca Romaine did uh, that character, did uh, Ula. Oh, another excellently hot choice. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so that's interesting. I had no idea that Uma Thurman's accent coming and going was supposed to be a comedic That's choice. what I mean. When I was reading like part of the Wikipedia, they're like, wonky accents and gay caricatures. And I'm like, oh, wonky accents. That was on purpose. Okay. I mean, I guess so. It, I mean, it was so bad it would have had to have been. But I mean, was Dick Van Dyke supposed to have a wonky accent? I don't think so. Like, I don't, it's just hard to tell. You yeah. don't know when people are fucking it up or if it's on purpose. Yeah, exactly. Calm. I wish I'd written down the name of the song. But at, at some point at the end of the film, when Nathan Lane is lamenting, I wrote, I've never seen the uh, an entire movie recapped in a song before during the movie oh okay and again i figured that must have been a comedic choice where he basically describes the entire plot of the movie in song 
In case you weren't sure what happened. <laughs> just, just as everything's crashing down for him. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I just spent like, is this supposed to be making fun of us? Like, I, I could have saved myself like an hour and a half and just listened to this song. <laughs> That's super funny. What song was it? Maybe there's nothing like a show on Broadway, maybe? I don't know. There are a few songs I blacked out on, I'll be honest. Oh, maybe it's Till Him or Betrayed or... I don't know. One of those. Should have noted it. <laughs> Rob, do you remember what song it is? What's the song where he re where Nathan Lane recaps the entire plot of the movie? Sounds like that would be at the end. It, it was, yeah, it was like before, it was right before he got arrested. I think it was like basically... Uh, Matthew Broderick and Uma Thurman had run away. It might be Till Him. Is it Where Did We Go Right? Or is it Till Him? I th I'm thinking it might be Till Him. I still just really want to watch Birdcage. I'll be straight up. I've never seen The Birdcage. Oh my god. It is so good. It is so is good in my opinion. post-Robin Williams passing because i haven't really gone back into the robin williams catalog since he passed away very hard i think there's probably been enough time that you might be able to but if anything to honor that film is so wonderful and for some reason i was thinking about it the other day well probably because of this and on my like facebook feed it was a, an article saying why the birdcage was so amazing like was just so understated and wonderful and i'm like yes it was oh my god hank azaria's in it and he's so uh, so wonderful hank azaria really never seems to put a foot wrong and he does uh, that puerto rican he does that puerto rican accent that character he does that Latino uh, guy voice so much on The Simpsons. It's insane. He, I've seen him do that that voice and character like a dozen times on The Simpsons. It's so funny. I highly recommend Birdcage if you haven't seen it. And uh, and Rob, because I know you've seen it. There's and if you watch it, this isn't a spoiler. But there's one part where they're in the kitchen and they're running around and they're trying to do something and Robin Williams falls and he gets up and they're like, keep going with the scene. But what I found out is that it didn't happen on purpose and he really did just fucking wipe out. And then you can see everyone laughing like, oh my God, he just wiped out and they keep going. And I'm like, oh my God, that was so wonderful. Cause it just like took that scene, that extra step of, oh my God, everything's going to shit. Oh my God. Anyways, apparently it was not planned and he really did just fucking fall. Anyways. Oh, interesting. And they kept it in. Yes, and you can see Hank is. I think it's Hank Azaria be like turning because he's actually laughing. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I want to. Yeah, needs a rewatch. Having seen it, it sounds like a perfect. I can see where they'd want to leave something like that in because that's exactly how people treat each other. No matter how bad a situation you're in, if someone comes and just eats it right in front of you, <laughs> you're gonna laugh. I know. I'm. <laughs> I can't tell. I'm the worst for that. If someone gets physically hurt in front of me i start <laughs> cry laughing so it looks like i've just I, like i'm done to the world i can't stop mm. it's really embarrassing it happened at work someone fell off their chair and for like 20 minutes no one could talk to me like i just couldn't i was in hysterics <laughs> oh my god that's amazing <laughs> Uh, really quick uh, the song i was trying to remember uh, where he recaps the whole movie is betrayed Oh, okay. Oh. I just comes into my office with his cockamamie scheme, talks me into. 
<laughs> like literally jazz hands, jazz hands, jazz hands. Well, he's lamenting and he's everywhere. Amazing. Do you know either of you what the difference between this one and the 1967 one is? Um, is there extra songs or something? Because this one's running time is 134 minutes. 1967 is 88 minutes. Any, hmm. have, have you seen the original, Rob? Do you have any idea where like I've, all I've that seen the original. Um, I don't remember the original very much. I don't remember liking it either or the actors that much. So I don't. I don't. My memory is fuzzy on it. I don't know why. I don't know why the remake is so much longer. There's probably more um, embellishment. Yeah. Probably more sure Nathan, giving be. Nathan Lane a few more verses and I don't know. For that much time, it almost feels like they've added songs. Totally possible. Is the bird song in the original? Because that's long. That whole scene is long. Yeah, that scene felt long for me. I don't know. I should have done a little bit more research on what the difference was. I was just trying to react to the movie itself. Do you think that Nathan Lane's whole thing about getting money from having sex with old women would be a plot line that would happen today? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> totally. I was like, I... in a post-Me Too world, would this plot fly? <laughs> oh, I think... Um... There's a lot of sugar daddies and sugar mommies out there, and it goes both ways. There's a lot of young women hooking up with sugar daddies, and there's a lot of young men hooking up with sugar mommies. That was the other hysterical moment in the movie for me, was when they were all with their walkers, like when they all were falling over, like the dominoes, and what, like, yeah. that was so ridiculous, and it was so ridiculous that they were women that he'd boned, like it was so, <laughs> you're like, what am I, what, this is so stupid, but yeah, it was yeah. good, it was good. I think without that, there would, I would, yeah, I think that was one of the funnier parts of the movie. Yeah, I definitely think it was funny, but I was like, I wonder I wonder how they would do this if it was now. How he would get his money. But maybe you're right. I don't know. I think it would be the what same. What do I know about the theater? <laughs> the smell of the grease, the roar of the paint. I think that there would be a lot worse, more offensive things that, that could be thought of. Also, how, like, Nathan <laughs> Lane is also so not straight that it's also hysterical yeah. for him to be like, look at me, I'm boning all the ladies, blah, 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 exactly. blah. And you're like, you're not. Um, there's no way. Totally. So I think that's also why it's totally okay, because you're like, this yeah. is not happening. Like, this man yeah. has never seen a vagina. Don't worry about it. Like, this is exactly. A, yeah, because it's, <laughs> there's no, there's no way. <laughs> I did enjoy his armoire of photos that he has to go on and find the right one. Kiss me, touch me, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I also really enjoyed his line when Uma Thurman came in, where he's like, "Please, can we have a woman on the couch that's under 85?" <laughs> <laughs> I can't see anyone else besides. Well, like I could see like a Steve Martin being Nathan Lane, but I can't see many other people that could like brings so much fucking outrageous energy to that character. Martin Short, I could see playing one of the two for sure. Yeah, and oh I was God. sure he did. I was sure he did, but I can't see 
their names up on the uh, like if I'm when I'm looking for the actors who played these roles on Broadway, I was yeah. sure he was one of them. And I, I, I in fact, I know he was it. It said Tony Danza was one. I'm like, are you kidding? Oh, and uh, Steven God. Weber. But I'm like, really? I thought Rob, was a we lot just bigger, lot longer list. We just recast an amazing movie, Martin Short. Martin Short. Steve Martin and the producers. Like, yes. I think we just nailed it. Those two already have a comedy like special out, so you probably could get them to work together again pretty easily. Yeah, Rob. Maybe you know who I also I, I would love to see play that role just for just to see what he'd do with it is Jason Alexander, George Costanza from Science. Uh, he yes. was. It, he was in the producers with Martin Short. I see it right here on YouTube, and I knew I'd seen that. So I don't know why I can't see that on Wikipedia, but it's not there. Him and Jason Alexander did the roles. Oh my god! Oh my god, that would be amazing. I knew I had seen that, and I'm like, where is this coming from? It's, I didn't just make it up in my mind. Well, maybe. <laughs> they were in the Los Angeles staging of the producers, not the Broadway. Ah, that makes okay. sense. Holy okay. okay. He would have been good at it. I would have. I would love to see his take on the role. Yes, totally. <laughs> but maybe it's just because I'm imagining George Costanza as that person. Yes. Not Jason Alexander. Yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Matthew Broderick is still doing Broadway, by the way. Like he actually is doing a show with his uh, beautiful, lovely, and talented wife. Well, he was before COVID. Who's his wife? Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica. Oh my oh, god, did they're you still say together. Sarah Michelle Keller. <laughs> Start again. Sarah SJP. I love her. I have a crazy Sex in the City fan. She's my hero. I love her. She looks she beautiful. Who, she who South Park also makes fun of as a donkey horse witch. Yes, I think she's beautiful. <laughs> I think she's beautiful. And she is aged so beautifully. They're filming the next Sex in the City movie, which I'm sure will be terrible. And Samantha's not in it, so what the fuck's the point? But I'll still go see it. And she looks beautiful. <laughs> I saw a picture of her recently. It was a paparazzi photo where like she's gray. And I, I've been enjoying these photos that have come out of celebrities in the pandemic where they couldn't go get their hair done and they're, they're, they've all gone gray. And I was just like, this is great. Why don't they, like, you should she just do this all the time. is aging beautifully. And I'm sure it's not natural, but whatever. She's not making it look like she's had pounds of plastic shoved in her face. It, she looks, she looks good. She looks good. She's so tiny. I don't know. She doesn't eat, but she's pretty. I love her. <laughs> Why the long face? Oh, boy. Boy is always making fun of her face. She's so beautiful. Of course she is. <laughs> Sorry. It's oh, just a night of tropes. It's a night of tropes. <laughs> Did you watch her comedians in cars getting coffee? Speaking of Seinfeld. And no, Seinfeld I've Spider. never watched that. I really like that show. It's probably my favorite Seinfeld project. Oh, really? It's actually funny. <laughs> I like that show too. Yeah, I've seen that. Interesting. She has one. She has one. I think Matthew Broderick does too, but she has one and it's pretty good. I find I struggle with her. I saw her inside the actor's studio as well, I think. She just strikes me as someone who's artificially nice. Yeah, pretty much. She's When I see her interviewed with like her peers, she comes across as like humble and, oh, thanks, you guys. Wow. Ha, ha. You know, it's just this little old me. I'm like, I kind of feel like she's not that way in real life. I don't know if she's super nice, but I've watched a few videos that she, I think she did at the beginning of the pandemic of like hanging out with her and like i don't know i didn't get the vibe that she was a total witch but um yeah i don't get that vibe too much i don't know 
But I'm really in love with know. like I'm in love with her character. Like I mean, it's tough. Yeah, and I have no, I have, I've never really seen Sex in the City. I have really nothing. Shut the to, fuck to, up. To base this opinion on, other than maybe a couple of movies she did in the '90s that I can't even remember. Where she was I basically like, rewatched that movie or rewatched the whole entire series every two years. Like, I, that's, like that's why I'm with Mad Men. <laughs> clockwork. We do Mad Men every few years too. I have now put Sons of Anarchy into the loop, and I, I like I rewatched it during the pandemic, and all of a sudden understood what was happening in that show. And I'm like, I'm so dumb. There was so <laughs> much I missed the first two times I watched this. Anyways, it's nice. good to rewatch our favorite shows because we always pick up something new. I think. Yeah, I I mean I've I don't know this we're getting we're, we're well sidetracked. Well sidetracked. Well, I mean, yes, I... no, we were talking about Matthew Broderick's wife. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, what about Nathan Lane's wife? We didn't talk about her. That's right. Oh, I looked her her up. What's her name? Dev Devin. I was like Bruce. Uh, <laughs> <okay>. Buck. <laughs> Devlin Elliott. He he is a theater producer and writer. They've been married for 18 years. That's Aw, cute. Oh, no, more than that. No, he married his partner of 18 years in 2015. Sorry, read the sentence. Read the sentence. Nice. The film I was trying to remember was Sarah Jessica Parker, and you may never forgive me for forgetting about it. Is Hocus Pocus. Come the fuck on. Yeah, it's a good couldn't one. Rem- couldn't think of it. Couldn't think of it. She's a baby <laughs> in that. She's a baby. The baby. She's the baby. Where is baby's chamber? Baby. That's another show I need to rewatch. I did, never got through it. You never did? Uh, I didn't think it was that funny. I, I love them. I put them. it up for a long time under the pretext of it's Canadian television. How good can it be? And I was wrong. No, I love, <laughs> I love, like, Catherine O'Hare is like the one of my goddess. And I've watched, I, I'm obsessed with Christopher Guest movies and she's magical in them. And her character is great. I just, I think I got maybe two seasons in and I just kept, felt like they were doing the same thing with their characters over and over again. And I didn't, it didn't hold me. And I know everyone says it's the best show ever. And I didn't, I've, tr- I've tried twice now to move on and I didn't finish it. That's fair. I, I have shows like that. And I think, you know, you just, if you're in the right mind space and you're like, I'm going to power through these or, you know, and get through this part. I struggled with it a little bit. It kind of really starts to hit its stride. Like most shows, like season three, season four, right. it starts to pick up. You start attaching to the characters. They, you know, M- Moira Rose doesn't really develop as a fully, fun- as a fully thought of character. Like she doesn't say Bebe until like season two, season three. Like anyway, that's a, a whole nother thing. That's a whole. Nother I thing. looked at Na- I looked at pictures of Nathan Lane and his husband and their dog, and they are the most adorable couple ever. No Just way. Side, side note. <laughs> and Nathan Lane is short. He is short from Jersey, and he is a tiny little man. Oh, <laughs> one of the first images that came up is in the bird cage. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You're watching it all tonight, aren't you? You're binging it. You're gonna yeah, watch it five after, times tonight. After these UFO documentaries, uh, it's happening. Do we want to do final thoughts? Are we still yeah, talking? We should, probably, we should probably do wrap up. I think we're tangenting because we've kind of burned out on what we need to say about this movie. Wrap it up, team. Rob, you want to go first? Do you want to go last and put a button on it? Uh, I'll go first, sure. Uh, I'll take that. 
Matthew Broderick, Nathan Lane, great comedy duo. Mel Brooks, hilarious. Um, offensive humor. Nazi, Jews, very funny. Jews Based. making fun of Jews making fun of Nazis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Need I say more? Mic drop. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I found it long. I thought it was super fun. There were parts that were super fun to watch, but I found that there was super interesting songs that followed by a couple not so interesting songs. So it was a little bit back and forth for me. But I mean, with that kind of acting talent, it, it keeps you in a little bit no matter what. But I think it ran for over two hours. And that's uh, that's tough for me. I thought of that when you mentioned how you found Mary Poppins was long. I was like, this movie's the same thing. Yeah, they're long. And there were a few times where I just would kind of space out, like Will Ferrell doing the German song and and a, a bunch of songs near the end. I was like, whoa, okay, this is long. But that is me, and that's my attention span, and that's my specific musical attention span, that sometimes <laughs> I have a stroke in the songs because I'm like, oh my God, they're singing about what they're doing. It reminds me so much of when I took my dad to see Across the Universe, and we didn't know it was a musical, <laughs> and they run out and they're like, it will be long now, now, now. And my dad just slowly turns and looks at me, and I'm like, oh my, oh my God. And he's like, I, I think we need to leave. I'm like, no, just give it a second. Maybe they stopped singing. <laughs> Did he hate it? I can't. I feel like we watched the whole thing, but he was just when you're not expecting a, a musical, like you know that that music is incorporated in it, but when you're not yeah. expecting a musical, and people like jump out singing, it's like, oh, shut it down. Like, I think a musical, <laughs> a, a musical turned movie in itself is a real huge challenge i think for especially for the box office for audiences i i think just in general my final thought on that is like it's it's hit or miss it either works really well like la la land somehow worked i didn't like it but most people loved it i've never but, seen it yeah i i hated it but hey audiences spoke because it won a lot of oscars so and, for, I, and you know, moulin rouge i loved so for, but for some for some, you know, stage musicals turned movies. For some, it works. For some, holy crap, is it bad? And I prefer that's the musicals where. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that's how. I completely agree with you. That's I've seen Rent on the stage. I think three times. Couldn't get through the movie. No, thank you. I've seen Cats on the stage. I wouldn't even address the movie. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Les Mis. I've seen Les Mis like three times on stage. Hated the movie. Didn't even finish it. Oh, interesting, oh, wow. because my partner is a massive Les Mis fan, and he loved the movie. Hey, maybe maybe he knows something I don't, but I had no issue with any of the casting, and it was all fine. But yeah, I was just like, for some reason, seeing it portrayed in a realistic sense doesn't work. I find musicals work because you are like, emotionally, you accept that you're watching this not real thing. Yeah. The backgrounds aren't real, the stage isn't real, like... None of it tries to feel real. It's all working within the confines of a stage production. And because of that, you can kind of yank yourself out emotionally and be like, I'm going to buy these songs. I'm going to buy the fact that these people are singing about this without context or, or without reason. But as soon as you plop it into a movie where it's like, no, he's really like yanking a boat, like let down. And they're like, and there's like a massive boat behind him or whatever it was. It was like, no, 
This makes mm. no sense. Except even in that in that moment, prisoners probably would be singing while they did that. Right. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I've, I've ran past my point now. <laughs> I guess, it, is it my turn to final thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to say, I guess, I feel like there's two different types of musicals and one where they sing what they're doing and ones that are like just standalone songs. And I do much better when they're just like standalone songs and not being like, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Like I'm that I, I can't do it for some reason very well. I mean, I will, but I think there's differences and that's my final thought. And I'm rambling and Bryn, go. I think the final thoughts have been made. I don't think I really need to jump on the bandwagon. I would just say I've never, as someone who's never seen it before and I'm not a huge musicals fan, I don't dislike them, but I'm not a huge fan of them. I usually end up seeing them as the result of somebody else's choice. Mm. First half of this was a challenge. Second half of this was was really enjoyable. I thought the comedy was, was fun. Again, I, I basically, I'd be like, you could skip the first half of the movie and just watch the second half. Basically watch from like the It's Gay song forward and you'll be fine. I'm not going to give away why this film or their production was a success. I think if you want to find out, you can either Google it or watch it. I would encourage you to watch it, but it's a funny reason why. And a fun fact that I had nowhere else to stick, Will Ferrell has a Luger pistol and his Luger pistol shoots 11 times, but Lugers hold 8 bullets. (laughs) (laughs) So Good fact. I think as we soon all as he started shooting, here. I was like, one, <laughs> two, three, four. And he got to uh, reload. And I was like, oh, stopped. And then it was like two more and then another one. And then it goes off by accident. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. I love when you see something and you're like, incorrect, sirs. Bad <laughs> editing. Terrible editing. <laughs> this just ripped me out of this film. <laughs> Only, only a, a Jew writing that comedy musical would have uh, not got, not gotten the the you know Nazi uh, memorabilia, the Nazi uh, pistol. Do the research. Yep, that's right. Historically, I, su- I suspect the Jews felt that those guns had endless bullets. Infinite. They, yeah. I guess so. As they watched their family and friends fall to them. Which is a really wow, what a really upbeat note. Wow. Sorry, I actually so watched Schindler's quickly. List by accident. Oh <laughs> Were we God. watching the producers? Whoops. I'm like, jazz hands, jazz hands, Nathan Lane. Oh my God, the Holocaust. Oh my <laughs> yeah, God, he's talking exactly. about it. Okay. Well, we, that's why we need comedy, right? Like, is to be able to yeah. take the wind out of the, the awfulness that, you know, can happen in life. That's right. Yes, thanks. I will, I will give it up for Mel Brooks in that moment where it's like, good for him. God only knows the untold horror his family went through. And he came out the other side and was like, no, I'm going to make fun of you. Totally. Yeah. Take the power back good and watch him. Dracula Dead and Loving It with Leslie Nielsen because it's fucking awesome. Will do. <laughs> or at least Young Frankenstein. All right, Angie, it's your pick. Yeah, it's my pick. Okay, so I had, I there were three different songs, or songs, Jesus, take a breath, take a beat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there were three different, well, there were two musicals that everyone knew that I was going to pick, and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw something in that maybe we won't think of, but Rob mentioned it about 18 times in this episode, but I'm, we're doing it anyways. I really want to do Moulin Rouge, because mm-hmm. it is... I'm not going to say anything about it, but Moulin Rouge, we say ça. That is the pick. I remember when you saw this movie in high school, 
We're going to talk. I've already, th I've been thinking about it so much. <laughs> I can't. I guess we'll get into it. We will. But I'm not, I'm not surprised when I, when I was Googling like top musicals and Moulin Rouge kept coming up and I was like, well, I'll probably end up watching that before we're done with this. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely going to pick between the other two and then. I did the same thing as you, and I was like, oh, I should look up to see what else is out there. And I was like, geez, oh my god, of course. This All is right. happening. <laughs> Moulin Rouge. All right. I guess we know what we're watching this week. Yep. I will center myself emotionally for when they start doing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yes, we're going to talk about <laughs> it. You're going to hate it. <laughs> uh, fun fact, I have seen about seven-eighths of Moulin Rouge before. Okay, okay. But so I do ready. have a story about that moment from before, so I'll save it. Can't wait. Obviously. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We watched The Producers. We did it. We did our second musical yeah, episode. Yeah, that was fun. I've never seen it. That was fun. I hadn't either. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for that. Thanks for an excuse to watch it. And uh, I think we've all decided that we're going to do at least one more round. So you'll, there'll probably be at least six episodes of musicals. So if you yes, are hating yes, these... Yes. Just uh, if and oh, shit. episodes beyond this, just like like you're coming back to us like two years from now and you hate these, just like jump ahead because we're gonna jump keep ahead. going. Life to labyrinth whores, fucking eat it up. Ah, that's right. <laughs> I'm doing devil horns and licking my fingers. Yes, <laughs> Rob, the man who probably doesn't care much for blah blah. blah. <laughs> yeah, Rob. I don't know. I don't think Rob's ever blah blah blah. blah. Anyways, I don't know. Anyways, we're getting okay. We'll talk about it when we talk about Moulin Rouge. Uh, <laughs> skip ahead if you don't like our musicals episodes, but we're having fun, so we're gonna keep doing it. I was gonna say we're coming up on a year of the podcast, and we keep saying that we're gonna do the movie The Labyrinth for our one year anniversary. <gasps> so we need to horseshoe that in somewhere. Maybe okay. we should just add it in as a as another bonus episode but actually do it literally so my favorite childhood movie i actually found an article on reddit and i sent it to angie that in for its 35th anniversary the labyrinth is getting a limited theater theatrical release wow i was like oh if only we were on the same city we could watch it but uh, anyway it would feel weird to do it without steven but his absence is his is his need but i think we need to do it Okay. Because we're coming up on a year and we keep saying we're going to do it. So, yes. Moulin okay. Rouge, we're going to keep doing musicals. I suppose you could argue Labyrinth is a musical, but I don't want to throw it in the rotation. I think we should just do it for fun. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. We're out. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number 2 Labyrinth. <laughs>